And welcome back to Cooking the Books, the podcast which looks at the stories of food, linking the thinking about what we eat and who we are to create a deeper connection with food. This week, we hop into the backseat of Theo Randall's parents' car as we head through the Italy of the 1970s, stopping at markets and stalls, delis and trattoria to find the inspiration behind some of the best food in London and Theo's Italian deli cookbook. You know... This is sort of a bit of escapism, going somewhere and really imagining you are in Tuscany or you are in Piedmont and you are, you know, and, and I think that's really important in food. And that's what I try and do at Theo Randall at the Intercontinental. We try and do, uh, give people that little bit of taste of Italy uh, that you, you, will, you will find on holiday. I asked him if conjuring up such a vivid experience of Italy was his intention. It was really. I mean, it's very much a kind of story of my kind of growing up. I mean, there are lots of experiences of, in later life and cooking and restaurants and wonderful experiences and wonderful meals. But, you know, if I think about my, my sort of childhood, it was all about food. It was all about experiencing wonderful things. And my mother being a brilliant cook, it sort of, she taught me, my parents taught me so much about, you know, life and, and, and food and how it should be. And I was, you know, lucky to go on these wonderful trips and holidays and the Mediterranean to France and Italy and um, you just sort of uh, they're my experiences they're, they're those, those wonderful moments where you first tasted something you know it could have been a simple plate of pasta but those memories have stuck and actually I can still taste them now I think I've got a photographic food memory you know I can remember every kind of dish or every wine we've we've tasted or drank over the years including the vintage the producer or you know whatever restaurant it was and what the dish was and um, but you know I can't remember something, <laughs> something else. You know it's it's one of those sort of. I think I've just sort of always been made to be a chef. But it's interesting. It's treasures, isn't it? It's the pottering. It's the finding. It's the slow exploration. It's all the stuff that we can't do now in lockdown. You know, and you wrote this book in lockdown. You must have had a wonderful time going back through those memories in your head. Well, it was kind of quite, I mean, in lots of ways it was quite easy because it was a book that I'd been thinking about for quite some time. And, uh, you know, produce is so important in cooking. And this is one this one thing that really taught me about this book is that, you know, you, you can't, you can cook great food, but when you've got really good produce, you can, less is more. You can do so many great things with them and not, have to use too many ingredients and obviously during lockdown it was quite difficult because we didn't have uh the access to lots of produce because you know everything ran out <laughs> um, but you know we did have a, the opportunity to sort of you know go to certain shops and i just found that italian delis were the best place to go to and i i spend my life going to shops and finding uh, a particular uh, ingredient and i'll buy four or five of them because i know that i can put it in my store cupboard and have them because you know that that t- that particular brand of passata or particular uh, brand of salted anchovy doesn't taste like any others so it's very much uh, uh, you know that thing of sort of shopping and, and cooking is is very much a core of what the book is about and it's interesting i looked up the sort of the etymology of of the the word delicatessen and it it's actually a german word uh, but it sort of came into major usage in mid 19th century america with the mass migration of of different peoples but particularly ashkenazi jews from northern and western europe in particular and what they were looking for was the stability of the product, the what you know, what you like. Because, of course, when you're moving around the world to a new home, you want to take the food from home to make home 
taste like home. That's really important. What you're doing is talking about bringing stuff that you found along your your wonderful family holidays to recreate those fabulous food moments in your early childhood. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that th- those those sort of childhood moments have stuck with me. And I think, you know, the fact that you can find ingredients now, I mean, we, we, we're so lucky, we're so spoiled, we can get whatever we want. And, you know, we always, you can go to a supermarket now and buy kind of pretty much everything, everything you, you could buy anywhere else. But that point of going to a delicatessen that, that you know, that we, what you've just mentioned about the delicatessens is so true. It's about knowing what you, what you like and what you can get. I mean, there's nothing like going to a delicatessen and having, um, you know, some prosciutto sliced by hand or a piece of parmesan cheese cut from the wheel doesn't taste like uh you know prosciutto cut and put into a plastic container or a piece of parmesan that's been wrapped in cling film for sort of you know two months It, it it's a different thing so i think and also a lot of food it's visual it's about your eyes what you see and when you go into delicatessen it's like a, it's like an Aladdin's cave. It's a display, a really good one. We'll have an amazing display. And obviously the best Italian delis are in Italy. You know, they're not even delis. They're just shops. Yeah. But, you know, those sort of places just are, it's like, for me, it's like going to Aladdin's cave, just seeing this amazing selection of, of, of produce. And it really gets me excited. And, you know, you, you're looking at these items thinking, what should I cook with that? This sort of encyclopedia of recipes is sort of going crazy when you're looking around these shops. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's go t- go into some of your food moments because they are so evocative. Tell us about that wonderful memory of that restaurant in Puglia. Well, it, I mean, it's still an ongoing memory because we still go there. And, and unfortunately, we couldn't go last year, but um, hopefully maybe this year. But, you know, it's a restaurant um, that I've known for many, many years. I know the owners very well. And there's always a dish that they have on, which is the melanzani parmigiani, which is, you know, obviously thin layers of aubergine. And it's, it, there's fried and there's a tomato sauce and there's parmesan, and there's mozzarella, lots of basil. It's absolutely delicious. But there it's particularly good. And that's partly because everything is local. The tomatoes have grown locally. The aubergines are grown locally. Uh, the cheese is it's just incredible and they make it every single day and it's part of their kind of their their antipasta for the day they, they, they all these restaurants have a few starters but the antipasta of the day is the thing to have because it, it's an abundance of different dishes it might be 10 15 different dishes but it's you get little portions of things anyway, my daughter lola has always um love vegetables i mean she, she she likes meat as well but she has always loved vegetables and this is one thing that she absolutely adores and and you know it's just sort of part of the kind of the trip the first thing we order is the melanzani parmigiani or it just comes on part of the or they know that, that we're gonna want some of that so it always comes and um it, it it's those sort of memories of the kids growing up over the last sort of 10 12 years of going to this restaurant sitting in this beautiful kind of you know, hustle and bustle sort of street um, where, where, you know, all the walls are painted white in this city. It's, it's, it's amazing, or town rather. And there's all the tables are kind of on the side of the wall. And it's beautiful. There's flowers everywhere. And it's got this, there's just so much atmosphere going on. The Italians are all walking past and doing the kind of passeggiata as they always do. And, and it's, it's, it's brilliant. And, and so that, that, that's sort of been one of the reasons of that, this, this book being, um, and that particularly that recipe has sort of inspired me because it's, I can taste it. I can visualize that dish 
when I'm writing or when I'm cooking. And I, and I cook and, I, and I've discovered the recipe and I've asked them about the recipe. So it really is their recipe in lots of ways. But it's, I think the thing about uh, Melanzani Parmigiani is, is what you put into it is what you get out of it. And I think that that, that dish is something that I always think of when I think of southern Italy and particularly Puglia and the town Cistanino, if anyone is thinking about going to uh, Italy in the summer or particularly going to Puglia in the summer, go to Cistanino. The restaurants there are incredible. They're not fancy. They're not, you know, there's no Michelin stars. It's just great, great cooking. And there's such an atmosphere there. I mean, you go past the kitchen in some of these restaurants and you'll see the chefs and there's a wood oven and they're grilling these huge pieces of meat on these spadinos and around the front's a sort of butcher's shop. And, you know, there's kind of tables in this courtyard, you know, and and they're very, they adapt to whatever the situation is. So they might have sort of six, seven, eight tables outside on the courtyard, but then you'll find that the main restaurants in the the square, you know, 200 metres down the road, they don't care. And, and that's what's so lovely about it. And, you know, if I think of all those, those times we've been to uh, Osteria Bella Italia, there's, the, the menu doesn't change that much, but it doesn't need to because everything is so perfect. I mean, all of the antipasti, all the cheeses are local. Everything's made there. The fish, they have this sort of like... Uh, amazing, uh, you know, kind of cabinet of fish that's been caught that day. And you just go and choose which fish you want. And it's either baked in salt or it's roasted on potatoes or it's grilled. You've got three ways of cooking it. And it just comes to the table whole. And, you know, I, I, for me, that's what food is all about. It's about that simplicity. And it's a not, it hasn't been mucked around. And melanzani parmigiana is a dish that cannot be mucked around. And it's fascinating because it's absolutely not what you do in your top restaurant in London. The Intercontinental is a pinnacle of gastronomy. It is what people come to, to taste a certain type of London. You're talking about this particular restaurant using local seasonal vegetables, cooking and feeding people in the way that restaurants in Italy have done for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years. It's not what London is about. You produce a very different experience what, what are you what are you doing there what's your intention well i think the link is that there it is about the produce and we do buy incredible produce um the simplicity but it's not local is it not necessarily it's not, not necessarily local. It, it is local as possible i mean we have all our fish is local we get a lot of our vegetables local but it's quite difficult to cook really good Italian food and just use local ingredients because you can't find aubergines, you can't find peppers, you can't get tomatoes, you can get tomatoes probably a month of the year, you know, and we do, we do buy stuff. We work with some amazing uh, suppliers like Natura who, and who I've worked with for absolutely years and years and years. And I've seen them grow and I've, you know, worked, grown, grown with them as well. But what I notice most of all about the produce is, uh, you know, when we can get those great, and, and, and believe me, when you get English produce, things like Swiss chard or the brassicas and, uh, and, and some tomatoes and, and all the root vegetables, they're amazing. They don't, there's like anything you get anywhere else. But unfortunately, you can't always have, have them all the time. So the, the inspiration from these restaurants inspires me to cook things. I mean, for instance, there's a dish that I, I had at this restaurant called Aqua Sale, which we'll probably come on to later on. But, you know, it was a dish. It was a, it was a whole big sea bream a gilt head bream and it was huge it was like two kilos and it was roasted on these potatoes with 
these little little tajiaska olives and and uh, capers and caper berries and tomatoes and a little bit of parsley and a little bit of garlic and white wine. And it was absolutely amazing. And I just thought, you know what, this is such a delicious dish. So I kind of went back back to London, talked to my supplier, see if he'd get me some gilt head bream. He said, yeah, I can get it between this month and this month or this month. And so, you know, I did a kind of version in the restaurant because you can't just plonk a two kilos sea bream on the middle of the table i mean you could do but you know people are expecting uh, a main course for themselves or a little bit more refined and i'm not saying refined is is always the best thing but sometimes it just gives a bit of a consistency and consistency is hugely important in a restaurant so for instance that dish we'd buy the sea bream probably get a slightly smaller bream we'd fill it the sea bream uh, we'd sear it, we'd cook the potatoes, cook the olives, the tomatoes, and roast it in our wood oven. So it'd have that kind of feel. Definitely have the spirit there. But I think, like, Italy is a different place and it's a different environment. If I had had that meal, like I, ha- like I have in uh, Aquasale in a restaurant in London, you'd have to have a different kind of atmosphere, you know, and it would, the fact that you're sitting somewhere when it's hot and there's this lovely kind of bus, bu- uh, hustle and bustle going on, it kind of makes the whole experience that much more delicious. And, you know, for me, restaurant experiences are about the simplicity because it really inspires me to then think of how I'm going to recreate that dish or that experience. Yeah, I mean, your clientele at the Intercontinental are, are, are very different. They're coming to experience a little corner of, of London and to see the what is happening in gastronomic London. That, it's a very different experience that they're looking for, isn't it? Yeah, we do, we do uh, these regional menus and they've been hugely popular. And, um, you know, what's nice is, you know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an Englishman. I haven't got Italian bone in my body, but I always say I have an Italian soul. And, you know, I will go somewhere and, uh, you know, get some ideas, come back, read about them. I do a lot of, you know, um, research on cooking, Italian cooking. And, you know, I'll come up with a menu which might be from a particular region of Italy. And we will uh, get the sommelier to choose some wines to go with this. And we will create a four-course meal that will have an antipasti, a pasta course, a primi course, a secondi and a dessert. And it will be a little experience of that. And, and we found after the, 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 the first lockdown, um, you know, we, we kind of did this and it sort of made it, like you mentioned at the beginning, it made everyone feel, you know, this is sort of a bit of escapism, going somewhere and really imagining you are in Tuscany or you are in Piedmont and you are, you know, and, and I think that's really important in food. And that's what I try and do at Thea Randall at the Intercontinental. We try and do, uh, give people that little bit of taste of Italy uh, that you you will you will find on holiday, uh, but it will be a kind of uh, less dramatic experience, but always giving you that amazing experience of like having really good food and always being very generous. I think restaurants and sh- chefs should always be generous. I think when you when you when you go to a restaurant, and you leave hungry, then there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Your second food moment is tells the story of your experience at Shane Max, uh, where you f- first really started as an apprentice chef to cook the kind of food that that grew into the sort of food that you're cooking now. And that again is borrowing from other people's cultures um, to 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 make something utterly utterly delicious. Tell us. Why, of all the food moments in your book, you chose this one? Well, I mean, Shay Max and Max Makarin had a huge influence on me because he was the first 
you know, proper chef I worked, worked with. And, um, it was a very intense apprenticeship. You know, I, I, it's a funny story. I actually went there on my 18th birthday. It was my parents' favorite restaurant. And we always went there for special occasions. And Max came out and said hello. And I started chatting to him and I said, I'd really like to come and work for you. Because uh, at this point, I decided that cooking was one thing I loved. And I thought, I need to go somewhere, work somewhere where there's, you know, where I can learn a lot and work with someone really good. And he said, well, I haven't got any positions in the kitchen, but if you want to come and work in, in the, um, in the, on the floor. Now, I was still at college at the time. I was at catering college. And so I sort of took on the very antisocial job working on a Friday and Saturday night when all my friends were out having a great time. I was working at Shea Max polishing glasses. And I was, uh, I was kind of a sort of busser stroke waiter. And I was probably the worst waiter they ever, ever had. I think I broke more glasses <laughs> than anyone in it ever. Um, and, you know, so... But I saw this food, and the food was to me was just amazing. I remember the smell. I can still remember the smell walking in that, starting my shift, and sort of just hoping there might be a little bit of leftovers or something for me to have. And 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 you know, so that was just how it started. And then, the, luckily, his apprentice, apprentice left, and just by sheer fluke, she'd left after being there four years. And um, so he actually sat me down and said, "Would you like?" the position i literally jumped that you know i said yeah of course yeah, i mean we didn't even didn't even a second thought and uh, so i started working in the kitchen anyway so max and i worked together for three and a half years and um it was an incredible experience and he wasn't someone who would give you lots and lots of praise the whole time like i guess you feel like you have to these days you've got to encourage people all the time he just wouldn't say anything i mean you just but you kind of knew when you were doing things right there was a sort of there was a kind of mood and um I, the the, the twice-baked souffle dish was something that I'd always uh, made, and I'd you know made thousands and thousands of these things. And, you know, after about a year of making them, he turned around to me and said, you know, that's, they're very, very good, you know. And I remember just literally just sort of feeling like I was walking on air. It was just mm-hmm. this, this incredible experience of having someone who you kind of just so wanted to please, didn't say anything, but when they did say something, it really meant something. And this went on for years and years, and I learned everything from, I mean, I, I remember that, you know, there would be a deer at the back. I'd sort of turn up for work at, you know, course to eight, ready to get into my chef's whites and there'd be a deer outside the back door because it was right next to Richmond Park, so it was in Surbiton. And he had some, you know, de- deal with a mate of his who was culling, you know, the deer. And I, we would get venison. And I, my first job in the morning was to sort of rip off the skin of this, this deer, take the guts out, and basically butcher this thing. And at first I was like, oh, my God. But I kind of didn't, I just was so into food, it didn't bother me that much. Um, but I kind of became really good at it. And then, you know, I'd do all the fish prep and I'd do all the meat prep. And I had, my, I had all these jobs, which has to do all the pastry, all the garnishes. And you kind of get that out of the way so you could do all these other exciting things. So really, it was an incredible learning curve. And, and you know, that dish, the twice-baked souffle, is just something that I always remember because it was that sort of first time I actually did something really perfectly and he acknowledged me for it. So it's something that's always stuck. And whenever, I, whenever that's being put in the oven or being made, I always just think of Max. It's a lovely story. And it's so important, the whole idea of mentoring. It's, it's what I hear so often uh, from chefs, you know, young chefs and old chefs. They always talk about the often male mentors uh, who, who were so influential to them. Of 
course, you went on to the River Cafe, where the, the, the mentors were very much female and very, very in love with Italy. Tell us about the link again between Max and, you know, Rose and Ruth. I mean, how did that happen? Well, I mean, there's no real link. That's the kind of extraordinary thing. Because I was working in a kitchen in, you know, in Surbiton, which is not the most exciting place in the world. And, um, you know, I I was uh, kind of felt like I was in this sort of little kind of bubble. And I wanted to sort of get out and I wanted to discover things. And I, I wanted to go to a restaurant where there was a sort of hustle and bustle. And I remember, uh, actually, it all started when I went to go and see Alice Little. This is another restaurant that my parents loved in Frith Street. And I remember going there. Princess Diana's uh, favourite as well. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I remember going there and, and um, you're know, thinking, God, this restaurant is incredible. So I, I arranged an interview with Alistair and we sat down. I'll never forget that. And we sat down. It was in between uh, his lunch and dinner shift and, and um, we kind of chatted and he was just such a lovely person and, and I still, you know, very, very fond of him. And he, um, he put me in touch and he said, look, he gave me, wrote me this list of restaurants to go to. And the one that really stood out was the River Cafe because I'd read about it and I just thought, you know, I, from experiencing Italian food and, and you know, just growing up with my mother being obsessed about Italy and, and cooking from these wonderful old cookbooks, like these Elizabeth David Italian food cookbook, I kind of just was so intrigued by it. And, and so I wanted to go and see it. So I remember going there and absolutely loving it. I mean, just turning up at this place, everyone was young and cool and it was this sort of new place and it was, the kitchen was open and I'd been stuck in a kitchen with two solid tops, polishing the surfaces, doing the copper pans on a, on a Saturday morning, you know, and coming somewhere that was so free and radical was just, just amazing. And this whole thing of cooking sort of produce and everything was char grilled or it was slow cooked. It was, it was completely different. I mean, another world. And so in lots of ways, that was kind of more exciting than anything. I mean, I could have gone to a, you know, a stuffy two star restaurant and, and probably done okay there because, you know, I had a great training from Max. But um, I went to went to the River Cafe and Rose and Ruth immediately just, we clicked. There was something, you know, um, and, and so I kind of just, just got into the whole River Cafe thing very quickly. And I gave my notice in at Max and that was pretty painful, but I did that. And then I, I literally started River Cafe about a month later. And, and it was, it was just, just such, a, such a great time because River Cafe was just starting to grow. You know, the, the restaurant was only, had only just started opening in the evenings. And so, you know, the, 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 what you know is River Cafe now, is, it wasn't what it was then, but it had the soul of it. Yeah. And it, 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 went it was a canteen a, for the architects, wasn't it? Well, it started off as a canteen for the architects. It was, it was you know, a, 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 a site in Thames Wharf Studios uh, and Richard Rogers' art partnership had taken over the whole building or they basically bought the whole building and they were renting out space as a studio. So it was a real kind of artistic sort of feel about it. Yeah. And having sort of grown up with, you know, my father's an architect, my mother's an artist, I had this very artistic sort of... Um, uh, you know, childhood, and and so it kind of all sort of clicked and and worked quite well. Yeah. So um, and the, but Rose, going to Rose and Ruth, you know, they were just two amazing people, quite different. I mean, totally different in lots of ways. And I remember going for the interview and sitting at the bar and being quite nervous. And Rose sat next to me. I think Rose was sitting at the bar, and I sat next to her. And she just turned around to me and said, "So do you think you're a good cook? Do you?" 
<laughs> at which point my leg was sort of like, you know, kind of shaking. And uh, then this sort of amazingly uh, friendly American lady sort of leant over the counter and said, you know, did you want a coffee? And, and, and was just, just charming. And so I sat down, sat down with them and I was just, and they showed me all their kind of menus. And the River Cafe then was, you know, there were, Rose was always very confident. Ruthie's always confident too. But there was such a sort of passion about what they were doing. But there was also a confidence and you know they were cooking they were cooking things that i hadn't sort of seen i mean i've been doing lots of i mean it was really good food at chez max but it was quite very traditional french it was quite heavy uh and you know seeing all these kind of char grilled things and vegetables and different ways of cooking things really made i found extraordinarily interesting and then going through all these handwritten menus you know and and i read remember reading these menus and i was thinking i must have been there for about an hour and a half just after the interview reading these menus which i think they were very impressed by anyway <laughs> i got the job and uh you know i i i i remember you know starting the river cafe and you know, this was back in 1989, and I started in uh, April, end of April, early May. And within a couple of months, you know, Wimbledon started, and there was like Martin Navratilova sitting outside <laughs> eating char-grilled red mullet with Vadura Mista and Salsa Verde. And I just thought, wow. And then sort of Boris Becker turned up two days later. You know, it was one of those places you just thought, wow, this is special. Yeah. And so, it, it, and then I remember my, pe- my parents came for the first time and they just loved it. And that's a kind of seal of approval. You kind of need that sort of thing. Because, you know, even though I've been working in this sort of wonderful restaurant, I needed, you know, going somewhere like that, you needed that kind of seal of approval. And, and I got that from my parents, which was lovely. And um, yeah, and, and that's how it all started. And, and the River Cafe was one of those places that just taught me so much but it was you know it was also it was just a way of life and and rose and ruth taught me a lot a lot about that and it, it was a very much a learning curve we were all learning together you know we yeah. were you know the, the, the italian food was experiences from R- rose uh, both of them hadn't really trained as professional chefs but they had an amazing knowledge which in lots of ways was an advantage at that time well um, they did a lot of traveling through italy like you have done and they went through each village didn't they and they really noticed that each of those villages had a very different attitude to a particular recipe or because because of the food that came from that particular land that terroir that it had the story of a, of the producers the soil the 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 feed every single thing i mean it seemed so advanced back then we didn't talk about it in those terms you know the dan Barber sort of way of explaining how food but they had it and they talked about it in terms of its identity to do with the culture. And ingredients were very much very important. I remember I went to interview Ruth and Rose back in the early 2000s. And I remember sitting at that same bar, the olive oil had just come in from some gorgeous village in Italy. I can't remember where, Duscany, I think. And everything stopped. All the chefs came out to try this latest batch because it came with such story. And that was the extraordinary thing about the River Cafe that blew my mind then. I'd never really experienced so such passion about the story of where something came from. And that's what you're doing with this book, isn't it? It's, it's, it's that sort of encapsulation of the Italian story. Yes, I mean, you know, there's, 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 talking of olive oil, I mean, that's a hugely important part of the, of the culinary calendar, you know, that kind of end of October, early, early November, you know, when you get the new season's olive oil and the River Cafe always had an incredible uh, selection of olive oils. And I think the place you're, you're mentioning is uh, Carmignano, Capizzana, which is where the, 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 I mean, that's the oil I, I buy. And it's one of those sort of 
uh, moments where you've got this incredible green oil that just tastes absolutely delicious. Mm. And, you know, the book is sort of teaching you what to do with certain ingredients. And I kind of felt that, you know, one of the reasons for writing the book is I think so many people sort of go on holiday or they go to a wonderful little, little Italian deli and they buy a jar of olives or they buy a bottle of olive oil and they're kind of not quite sure what to do with it. And it, a lot of it is instinct, I think. I think you've got to think, well, what would I, re- what would you do with this oil? It's so good. The best thing to do is do nothing to it. So you just pour it on top of a bit of grilled bread with rubbed a bit of garlic or some tomatoes or just have it with a bit of bread and uh, and. and really nice fresh bread and just eat the have the oil on its own um so it's kind of giving a few kind of tips on what to do with with something like olive oil or or some olives or something and and i think that's kind of what people need because you can have a cupboard full of all this stuff and it can be sitting in the back of the cupboard it might cost you a fortune that olive oil or that jar of something you think well just save it for a special occasion but you know things like olive oil are very perishable they go off very very quickly so the sooner you eat them the better and i think that's a, a lot of ingredients are like that it, it that takes us very nicely into your third food moment where we've got this fabulous restaurant in a converted house and very posh linen tablecloths but it's actually the olive oil that you're talking about really it's the antipasti take us into that third food moment so this is a restaurant in sant'ambrogio val Policella, uh called the grotta di cronio and it's a um a little restaurant that I visited with on a wine trip. We were at Vin Italy in Verona. And uh, this was, was organised, this meal was organised. We were in this sort of private room. And I'll never forget this room. It was this huge table. I think there were about 12 of us or something. And the, <laughs> there was a shelf around the top of, the, of the, uh, the room and it was full of empty bottles of wine. And all the, they were the most incredible vintages and, you know, producers of wine. And so we're all sort of looking at these and the kind of these glasses came and there were like four glasses put on each setting. And I remember that first antipasti. It was so simple. I mean, it was amazing bread to start with, but it was incredibly thin slices of beef, raw beef, carpaccio. And then there was some parmesan on top and then these kind of wafer see-through slices of fresh porcini, like the freshest porcini you've ever tasted. And then there was just a little drizzle of olive oil done by the waiter on top of the... Uh, the dish and you know kind of without the olive oil it wouldn't have worked I mean it was it was like that important mm. it was like it was almost like glue it kind of brought everything together and it was something that I, I'll never forget and and that eat it eat it there was no lemon juice or lots of salt or black pepper it was just raw beef parmesan porcini and olive oil and that sort of salty parmesan with that beef was just incredible oh, and I, I'll never forget that and that kind of that, that oil and also it was local oil it wasn't like Tuscan oil which is really green and spicy it was kind of light slightly sweet and you know it was just sort of perfect assembly it's I always think there's like that touch I mean you know certain people have that touch where they can make something taste amazing that little bit of you know seasoning or just getting it cut the right way and I see that in a lot of chefs you know I have a lot of chefs working for me and some of them have got it some of them haven't and you can't teach it it's just something and sometimes they it comes out eventually um but you know and so, and so that restaurant was really special and, and the other thing I remember that that meal was this pasta it was a tagliarini it was a bright bright yellow tagliarini I'd never seen pasta like that before and it inspired me to sort of you know create really good pastas ever since mm. and it was so simple it was just this local salami uh, with these peas, and the peas had been cooked quite slowly, so they were really sweet. 
and this pasta, and it was just tossed together. And um, they still make it. And, and I've, I've mentioned this a few times, and the owner of the restaurant's got in contact with me many times to say, thank you so much for plugging the restaurant. I was like, well, no, thank you. I mean, literally, you've inspired me so much. But it was one of those moments, <clears throat> and it's a dish that's in the, in the cookbook, because it has to be there. And, and you know, I, I, it, it, it always, I can remember that mouth of eating that pasta, it being perfectly cooked al dente, but just the right kind of quantity. And um, everything was perfect. And so I think, you know, it's a sort of benchmark of how, when I cook fresh pasta, I always think of that that particular dish. Yeah, it's amazing how these memories keep inspiring. You, I, mean, I always wonder when chefs tell me about these amazing restaurants that they go to, whether we should name check them or whether, you know, they'll be so overrun with tourists that we'll, nobody will ever be able to go there again. Your last food moment is a, based in a restaurant that sadly no longer exists. So you're free to tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this restaurant is a restaurant called, it was called Aquasale, and it was in the town of Ostuni, which is in, again, in Puglia. And again, it was one of those restaurants that we went to as a family and with the kids. And it was in this courtyard, um, and it was a little bit away from the sort of the hustle and bustle of the town. It's a little bit quieter, but it was the most beautiful courtyard. I mean, it was a beautiful building, and it had these amazing olive, uh, not olive, lemon trees just sort of growing in these pots, but they kind of managed to sort of um, grow them. So they were kind of, you know, they were hanging, the lemons were sort of hanging down. There's this amazing smell and scent of, of, of lemons. And the, everything was candle lit. And the food was just incredible. I mean, it was exceptionally good food. And uh, again, classic Pugliese way of the antipasti coming to the table. It was just endless. I mean, you know, every time I go there, right, I won't order too much, but I'll, I've got to order, try this, this and this. And it became like an ins- inspiration trip, really, going to that restaurant because the food was just so, so, I loved it so much. And um, there was one dish that, that was on the menu and it's pakiri, which I'd never had before, which pakiri is like a large, great, like a big rigatoni, very, very thick takes about 20 minutes to cook and um this one was the uh didn't wasn't regate which has got little ridges it was smooth which generally is the one that usually goes with fish the ridge one usually goes with a sort of meat sauce or a tomato sauce because the ridges hold the sauce but it was very very smooth and i remember having this and and um we went with a friend of ours and the, 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 the lady we had it because it was for two people and my son max was sort of sitting next to me and he's both my kids love food, but he really loves food and, and he's a good cook. And um, he tasted this pasta and was just like, uh, you know, he was probably about 12 at the time. And he's like, oh, this is just so good and kind of sort of de- de- devoured half of mine. And so ever since then, whenever we went to the restaurant, we'd have the same dish. And, uh, you know, like a lot of restaurants in that part of Italy, you know, the menu doesn't change that much. But it's all about seasonal, what's in season and what, what, what is great. But this pasta, it has to be cooked. It sounds really easy, but it's basically clams, a um, little bit of white fish, so like a bit of sea bass, um, a little bit of tomato, a little bit of zucchini, white wine, garlic and parsley. But it's that thing of getting the fish just perfectly cooked, cooking the pasta so it's just it's got, still got that bite but it doesn't break. Because when you've got very thick pasta, if you take it out too soon, it cracks. So it's getting the timing perfectly and then tossing it and emulsifying it. So all that lovely kind of white, creamy sort of sauce, and there's no cream, it's just olive oil, garlic, white wine. Um, and the fish being the fish being perfectly cooked and that sort of sauce holding the pasta and having that kind of 
oh, I just oh. I want to go there now. Oh, me you know, too. and 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 and, and it, it it's 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 doesn't like sound like many ingredients, but it was one of those dishes that I absolutely love. And so whenever Max is home from university, it's one thing he always asks me to cook. And you know, I don't never mind a plate of pasta, so <laughs> I'm very happy to cook it. Thank you so much, Theo. I feel like I have just been to Italy. I can smell and taste those flavours so viscerally. It's so it's a wonderful way to take us out of lockdown into the land of real food. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can buy the Italian Deli Cookbook by Theo Randall and all the books featured on Cooking the Books by clicking on the bookshop tab at julysmith.com. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and I'll see you next week when I'm with Katie and Giancarlo Caldesi on how diabetes changed their attitude to food.